Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. And I'm involved, work with Exponential and the little website that I run. I get I get to know a lot of people who are doing networks now. And you know, we were we were we were kind of Hope Chapel. We're part of a denomination. We were more our own, and I guess I'm going to use the word movement uh, of, of of churches that got planted. So we had our own characteristics, our own vocabulary, our own culture, if you would, and which often put us at odds with our denomination because they had their culture and and in in some ways. I mean, you go way back, there's a guy named Lyle Schaller. I think he was from Indiana years ago, wrote all these books about church growth and whatever. He said at that time, this is before the advent of the true mega churches. He said a church of a thousand is like a mini nation. He started out with a church that, you know, like, like a, I think he, he called a real tiny church, like a rabbit. And then he talked, you know, they're, they're like at certain size, they act like a cat. They don't really need their pastor. Uh, they just got their pastor. It's like a cat doesn't need its master. And then they get a little bigger. They act like a dog. They want to follow their master around everywhere. But then he's, he he made this thing that at a certain size, they have everything they need to get the job done. So then they struggle with their denominations. And that mm-hmm. kind of happened to us. The mistake that we made, there was a thing in Hawaii called Hawaiian Islands Ministries, which was a support organization, had nothing to do with church planting. Um, it was a, a convention every year to, to train leaders. It was, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I think it's still going on. There were a lot of people who planted churches in the, in the years that I was in Hawaii. I was there for 35 years. Uh, but myself and Wayne Cordero, we were kind of the two spark plugs to church planting. But we really didn't I mean, we're dropping a bucket together, and we each, each of our churches, theirs were way bigger than ours, but each of our churches launched, uh, I think, 69 or 70 churches during our tenure in Hawaii, but when, when we went to Hawaii, you couldn't use a public school legally for church. That changed. The last church I planted in a movie theater when I handed off the big one to the next generation, I couldn't rent a school. And we were told by the school district, we have a church in every single school in the state. And some have three small congregations. And there's 650 schools in the state. So what happened was that just, there were all these people who just kind of jumped on and said, I can do that. If those idiots can do it, I can do it. And they did it. And they did it extremely well. The mistake we made was we never pulled together a Multiply Hawaii. We never got these people to where they were in touch with each other. A lot of people were doing a lot of things independently and, and they were looking to Wayne and looking to me and going, you know, we're learning from these guys, but we weren't wise enough to, to build, uh, you know, a sort of a, a free for all network. And I see a lot of uh, 
of these networks now being built. And I think it's a really, really, really healthy thing. So I'm looking at this and going, A, we missed the boat because we didn't create a network. But B, the networks that I see developing don't have the teeth in them that you guys have. Uh, here in San Diego, I, I sat at a meeting with some guys and, and they weren't meeting often enough. Now they are. It's really healthy. But uh, to the bigger churches were throwing pretty big dollars at what they were doing, but it was still kind of informal. The thing that I saw that was so important to me was a couple of recent church plants, churches that are, you know, like 15 months old, one of them a year old, are matching the big boys. You know, at this point, it was like, well, we got $5,000. Well, you know, we can put $5,000 into the next church plant. So I think where, where money meets vision becomes a pretty yeah. important part of this thing. Speak to that. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I don't know how nice my staff would say that I am, but I completely agree in the, in the put up or show. If you're going to voice your opinion and you want it to be heard, the way it's going to be heard is by you proving it with your budget, by you proving it with your money. I mean that I don't know how else to say it because that's reality. And you know, I if if you want to um shape the future of the church through multiplication of disciples and then multiplying churches, but your budget doesn't reflect that, then you don't value it. So stop stop saying you value it. Just call a spade a spade. You value it and when your budget values it, you value it when your schedule values it. Um, and so you, you can say you value something all day long and it's lip service until the money's moved. Um, and so I just, you know, th- this is just a perspective teacher, not a comparison teacher, but uh, our humble two and a half year old church uh, has about a uh, 700 to $750,000 a year budget. Now that's also because of our uh, monetizing of our certain spaces. Uh, but the reason I share those numbers uh, is so that for, for those who are listening that are kind of in my phase of church planning, maybe my age, only 5% of our budget, 5% of our budget is departmental expenses. 5%, Mercy Kids, Mercy Students, Worship, Host Team, all those kinds of weekend program, programmatic elements, 5%. Um, we're, we're giving 3% back to the Mercy Road family of churches. We're giving 3% back to Multiply Indiana. We're giving 3% back to Transformation Ministries, our, a funding group of ours in Southern California. And so, you know, right there, we're giving, uh, you know, over, we're giving over, a, we're giving almost twice as much back to multiplication than we are internal programmatic services. And so like, I don't say that to toot my own horn. Actually, it's very painful. It just means that we value multiplication of disciples because what's going to recover the earth for Christ is making disciples. And so if we can continue to have our budgets pushed in that direction, I think we'll all be better off for it. And then the pressure won't be on your church to be the biggest, baddest church in town. So we were, when we were doing it, it was like we were giving 10% to our denomination. Oh, Uh, yeah gritting our teeth all the way and then uh we we would just take whatever it took we'd write a separate budget with each person we'd let them negotiate what they wanted from us 
and we would fund the entire first month of that budget and then tell them you better be saving like crazy all the money that you bring in the offerings and then we would fund that church would drop that um, that initial amount by 10% a month for 6 months and then at the end it's you're on your own and it worked really really well but mm. so we one one sunday the, the most radical was when we gave away two churches in one day and it was 25% of our congregation 5% went to one small town and 20% went to the to the town right next door to us. So we were a church of about 1,400 people at the time. So we were putting out a lot. And I I, I really agree with you that it, it's money and time. But as, as we were uh, kind of working our way through this, we were still dedicating almost 40% of, of our income. We, did, we had very little for buildings. That's what we meant in tents. And yeah. we were in a public school for 17 years, but close to 40% went to staff, paid staff. So yeah. what I'm hearing you say, what you didn't say out loud, but what I'm hearing between the lines, and I want you to expand on this, is that um, effective disciple-making, disciples who make disciples, met budget in a way that where we were putting out 40% to staffing, you're you're talking about five percent this is incredible and i think again younger guys that are trying to figure this out need to hear the nuts and bolts of that yeah and i do want to make clear five percent for departmental expenses we one of our largest expenses is staffing our largest expense is this facility facilities are just so expensive so if we had a beach here off the highway we would do tents too, um, but we don't. Yeah, I think that I think that the budget thing has to be considered. And I think what I'd want your listeners to, to hear, if anyone's listening in their 20s or 30s, get, get this right now. Um, the greatest church planting, disciple making um, campaign in the history of the world didn't have a budget right? The, the multiplication of disciples and the multiplication of churches throughout the Mediterranean in ancient day didn't have a budget. It didn't have a, it, it was, it was funded entirely differently. And it, I'm, I'm fearful that churches are concerned that churches, and I was a part of this for years as you pastor, churches have gotten themselves into a corner where they want massive budgets to do what the priesthood of all believers ought to be doing. Well, we can just pay for the multiplication of disciples rather than do the hard work of the multiplication of disciples. And ironically, if you took that massive departmental expense budget and applied it to multiplication, you would probably see the kingdom grow. Yeah. You would definitely see the kingdom grow. Yeah. So it's just painful. Just, just, you know, no front that like, when you're sitting with your board of directors and you're trying to explain to your church congregation that 5%, you know, of your, of your budget is for departmental expenses, you got to be able to defend the fact that ministry can be done for free. Right. Basically you have a dollar in your pocket. You have more than you need. If you've got the word of God and the spirit of God, you got enough. You just, you know, so if you've got money, cool. If you don't, you can still do ministry. Yeah. And we're proving it all around the world right now. One of my friends, um, there's a thing going on with Facebook where, 
uh, people are hacking your account and then putting out to all your friends, guess who died? Uh, I got one of those done to me today as if I had died. And I just ignore them. But one of my friends recently, um, he's dying of cancer. So he, he, he's got months to live. He's a microchurch planter who's coaching microchurch planters in foreign soil in Russia and in Japan particularly. So he, somebody did this to him. They, 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 they made it appear as if he had died and somebody had notified all of his friends on Facebook. And so he put some deal out. He's trying to straighten the thing out. And um, a guy in Kenya responds to him. He goes, why did you put that message out if you weren't dying? Well, I didn't put that message out. I'm putting this message out to say I didn't really die. And he explains the whole deal. Then the guy comes back and says, yeah, but why did you put the original message out? The guy started, my friend Randy started getting mad at him. And he said, the Holy Spirit just whispered in my ear and said, shut up and listen to this man. They become friends. And this has been going on for now four and a half weeks. And I believe that there are 13 microchurches in Kenya that didn't exist a month and a half ago. And a whole bunch of people who have accepted Christ. And my friend Randy said, the first thing that I told this guy, because he goes, I'm suspicious of people from Africa always wanting money and you know, we get all that. And he goes, so I just told him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. And so they get together twice a day on WhatsApp, and they text between each other. And he's, he's coaching this guy. The guy owns a motorcycle. He's a welder. He was discipled, in, and it, it's an odd thing because what goes around comes around. Some of our friends were going to Kenya 12 years ago. And they discipled a guy who was pastoring a little church, trying to be mega. And they taught him how to multiply churches. This had been one of his disciples as a young man, moved, I guess, to another city or something. And so, you know, the, the full circle thing. What they're doing was no money, no, nothing other than a free WhatsApp subscription. And 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 the, the gospel is multiplying. It just underscores everything you're saying. Oh, wow. What a powerful story. That's beautiful. So as we kind of wind this thing down and land the plane, I, I'd like you to do two things. One is, if there's some advice, if, if if you were talking to somebody who's going, I really get this. I just had my left hand, you know, hand on the left shoulder experience, and I'm, I'm, I'm raring to go. I don't know what to do next. What would you say to that person? And then I'd like for you to give us some information if people want to contact you and and follow up on the things that we're talking about. Let us have that. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, I think that what I would say is, um, you know, you can hope and dream and you can wish for multiplication to happen in your context and by your leadership. But if you don't have a plan uh, to activate it, it will remain a hopeful, wishful thinking deal. And so um, for those people who are idea people, this, this is where you're going to struggle. Uh, I've got some teammates on my team that are idea people, and um, I prefer working with execution people, people that do things, not think things. Um, but nonetheless, uh, if you're an idea person, you need to get around people that are executors and get things done. Here's what I'd want you to do. If you want to make disciples, 
I don't care what the curriculum is. It doesn't even matter as long as you've got the most important curriculum of all time, the Bible, mm-hmm. um, and you've got a supplementary curriculum that you want to use. Cool. We use uh, some supplementary material in our church context as well. Every Thursday morning at 7 a.m., I teach the same 12 guys everything I know about following Jesus and living my life honoring the Lord. We use the Bible and we use supplementary curriculum. And I teach them this from 7 to 8 a.m. every Thursday for 12 months. And I've been doing this for five years now in a different group every year. They know when they say yes to that invitation that they're expected to go and take that information that they just learned about moral and ethic and and about tithing and worship and, and the multiplication and following Jesus and everything there is to know about following Jesus. And they're supposed to go take all the information and teach someone else. And when the grandson or granddaughter is taught, you know that you've actually multiplied a disciple. And the best way that you can show them proof in the pudding is to show a second generation group of disciples have a first generation disciple that discipled come in in your absence and teach them something so you can go fishing or camping or something so you can get out of town. That's really great. It will it will prove to them that oh my gosh I thought Luke was going to show up and disciple me for an hour on this Thursday morning but he snuck a, he 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 pulled one over my eyes and had a disciple of his from a previous generation group come in and teach this new generation group so as to prove the point of the multiplying disciples, the multiplication of disciples. And so I know that like it can feel intimidating because the magnet of three is so heavy. You get pulled into managing addition and managing addition. You're, we're not called to be King Herod. We're called to be followers of Jesus and multipliers of the gospel. So stop managing things and get away from three and start multiplying disciples. If you do everything else wrong in your church context and you make disciples, it will be as if you did everything correctly. That's right. Because church planters funding salvations, baptisms are all a result of disciple making. That's what I want my peers to hear. Uh, it's really, really, really good. Well, let's just kind of wind it down. How how would someone make contact with Luke Edgerton? Yeah, you can shoot me an email, Luke at mercyroad.cc. I'm on Facebook, Luke Edgerton. Um, you can check out our website, mercyroadnw.com. Uh, I'm not huge on social media. I'm not, I don't really, you know, I don't have like a Twitter handle. I mean, I think I do, but I haven't been on it in years. But yeah, I, I respond to email quickly. I respond to Facebook messages. Um, so I would love to interact with any of, of your listeners and, and share the ways that we've succeeded. We've failed way more times than we've succeeded. So I could share with you what not to do as well. Um, but yeah, Ralph, this has been a tremendous honor to sit and chat with you. I've learned so much from you, sir. So thank you for your love and deposits into people like me. Well, thank you so much for the stuff you shared and thanks for uh, it kind of being a gloves off approach. I, I just uh, get so frustrated when I hear everybody has to credit everything they don't believe in by saying nice things about it. And then they say what they really believe. And uh, to meet someone who I identify with, who 
is willing to just go, hey, this is the way it is. I love it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate you a lot. Thanks for having me. I hope that you've got a good faction of listeners my age that can benefit. I'm sure I know you do. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.